One of my first jobs was uh, working as a junior retail assistant at the Royal Yacht Britannia, voted Scotland's best visitor attraction 12 years in a row, I'll have you know. Every morning I would stand waiting for my bus, dressed in full retail assistant uniform, which comprised of um, purple tartan trousers, which were just a little bit too short, matching purple tartan tie, and for some strange reason, a rather fetching scarlet woolen jumper. Not entirely sure who designed the uniform, but weirdly, it felt perfectly normal to be dressed like that when you were surrounded by Britannia merchandise in the gift shop. Uh, not so much on the street, and I did get a few unusual looks. I think it's fair to say that I was not the world's most gifted retail assistant. I always seemed to have a massive queue at my checkout, usually because I'd made a mistake on the till again and one of my colleagues was coming over to help me. So after a while, they took me off the tills and I was put on the floor to kind of tidy up the displays and things like that, like the lowest, the lowest of the lower, really. Um, but that didn't go so well either because the problem is I'm quite clumsy, so I just kept knocking things over, which wasn't great when uh, the things I was arranging were kind of expensive, royalty-themed china and crockery and such. Looking back, I had a pretty limited perspective on the purpose of my work. My priorities were spending as little time there as possible while earning enough money and hopefully not getting fired. God's view of work is so much bigger than mine was all those years ago. I didn't recognize the spiritual significance of what I was doing each time I stepped out into the shop. Whether you're in full-time or part-time employment, or you're unemployed and working to find a job, whether you're studying, working at raising children, or working as a volunteer, work is a massive part of life. Your work matters to God. He cares passionately about it. Whatever your employment status, God has work for you to do. And his plan is to bless you in it, bless the world through it, and for him to be glorified by it. So let's read what he has to say about work in his word. Now, over the past few months, we've been working through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we have now reached the sixth and final chapter. Uh, we're going to read from Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 9, so feel free to turn to it in your own Bibles or just follow along on the screen. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. You might be wondering why Paul begins this passage addressing bondservants. Some of your Bibles might even use the word slaves. Paul's writing here to the church in Ephesus, and Roman cities like Ephesus, uh, in Roman cities like Ephesus, bondservants or slaves generally outnumbered freemen. There were bondservants in Ephesus who had decided to follow Jesus and had been wonderfully saved and added to the church. Paul wants to encourage them and strengthen them with the message that God cares about them and their work, and that even though they're slaves in an earthly sense, Jesus has freed them from spiritual slavery 
so they might know and worship him. It's important to note that by addressing bondservants, Paul isn't condoning slavery here. Elsewhere in his letters, he makes it clear that Christianity opposes it. And Paul's writing inspired many Christians in later generations, people like William Wilberforce and Frederick Douglass, to pursue the abolition of slavery in their country. In this passage, he's not addressing the institution of slavery itself. He's showing these bondservants that despite their earthly slavery, they're freer than their masters, thanks to the extravagant grace of God. So Paul may have been speaking into a very different social context to ours, but the principles of this passage are relevant for our working lives. In Ephesus, most of the tasks that we would attend to equate with work um, They were done by slaves, things like uh, administrative and agricultural roles. Um, Many teachers, business managers, and even doctors were slaves. We might not be slaves to our work, quite like Roman bond servants, even though you might sometimes feel like it. But work is still an inescapable part of life. So how can we be a people who work well? Paul's answer centers around this phrase in verse 6. Work as bondservants of Christ. Why does he use this phrase? Well, all of us were in slavery. Slavery to our own selfishness, to our own mistakes and bad habits. And we were headed for death. But Jesus, by dying in our place on the cross, purchased us and freed us. He is our new and wonderful master and we belong completely to him. It's what we've been singing about all morning. If you're a Christian here, you are a bondservant of Christ. So we're going to look at six aspects of what it means for you to work as a bondservant of Christ. So here we go. Firstly, your work is worship. If you're in full-time employment, between 30 and 40% of your waking hours are spent at work, which is about a third of your life, isn't it? Being a Christian is to give your whole life to Jesus. So your work is not your own. It's worship to the one who made you, who gave you all of your gifts and talents, and who gave you the work to do in the first place. We can't give our lives to God without giving our work to him too. It's tempting, I think, to try and compartmentalize our lives with our work life here and our family and social life here, um, and our spiritual life here. And this compartment here, is this is where we worship God. This is where we go to church. We go to small group. Uh, we might even give our money to God. We read our Bibles, things like that. And these other areas like work, well, they're ours. But God doesn't make these distinctions at all. Avad is a word in ancient Hebrew used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. And it sheds light on how, we're to, on how God views work and how we are to view work. See, avad can be translated equally as work and worship. And when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, he said, six days shall you work, and he used the word avad, but on the seventh day you shall rest. We could read it like this, six days shall you worship through your work, and on the seventh day rest in God's presence. We're going to touch on rest a little bit later on. But whether you're singing in church today or you're arriving at work tomorrow morning, it's all worship. I want to take a moment just to speak to anyone who's currently unemployed or searching for a job. 
I personally know the pain of uh, being unemployed for uh, quite an extended period of time and the unique frustration and confusion of that season. I also know that God provides for all our needs, our financial needs and our deep need to work. So don't let unemployment lead you into paralysis. Don't let it make you feel like you can't do anything. Keep, keep working hard. If you're, if you're searching for, for jobs, keep, keep working hard in faith at that. And be aware of the opportunities God might be giving you to volunteer or uh, do something unpaid in the present. Unlike our culture, God doesn't just value paid work. He values all work. Just because you might be struggling to find paid employment in this season of life, that doesn't mean you can't joyfully worship God through your work. And if you're retired, don't discount yourself from this either. We are designed to work, so life isn't a quest to finish work. That doesn't mean we should never paid from, uh, retire from, from paid employment, of course. What I mean is that God still has valuable work for you to do. Whether it's helping others by volunteering your time or using the skills and talents he's given you that you maybe weren't able to use directly in your old job. Who here has seen the film Chariots of Fire? Yeah, so if you, if you haven't seen Chariots of Fire, uh, it's about this guy. He was a Christian athlete called Eric Liddell. And at one point in the film, he's kind of struggling over whether he really should be giving uh, so much of his time to running and competing. You know, whether it's godly enough, I guess. Maybe you struggle with that in your work, wondering if what you're doing has any spiritual significance. When Eric Little's battling with this in the film, his dad tells him, and I love this quote, Eric, you can praise the Lord by peeling a spud if you peel it to perfection. Run in God's name and let the world stand back in wonder. Whatever work God has given you to do, do it as well as you can. Do it as well as you can, even if your boss is being a real pain. In verse 5, Paul tells us to obey our earthly masters with fear and trembling, which here means genuine respect without insincerity or bitterness. Even if your boss is a bad boss. Remember, in his context, Paul's speaking to slaves who had no legal rights and they were vulnerable to mistreatment. So his instructions clearly aren't only applicable to those who have perfect managers. Now, there are obviously limits to Paul's instructions to obey because in verse 6, he clarifies that we should do the will of God, which rules out following immoral orders. Likewise, Christians should never deny Christ uh, if they're asked to by their employer. But in general, doing what you're asked with a good attitude, even if it might seem pointless or dull to you, can bring glory to your Father in heaven. Secondly, you work for the family business. Our God is a God who works. It's easy, isn't it, to think of work as an interruption to your life, a necessary evil that you just have to get on with. That's the way a lot of ancient cultures saw work as well. The ancient Greeks, for instance, saw work as a barrier to peace and happiness, especially manual labor. Their gods didn't work. This kind of attachment to the physical world was, would have been sort of seen as beneath them. Having to work, in their view, was an inherently bad thing. But not our God. The Bible talks about work right from the very first chapter. In Genesis 1, God works to create the heavens and the earth, the sun, 
moon, stars, animals, plants, people. In chapter 2, we see him as a gardener working to cause plants and trees to grow in the Garden of Eden. We're told on the seventh day, God finished his work that he'd done and he rested. Work is not beneath God himself. He even found delight in his work. It says, and and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. All work is inherently dignified because God designed it and he does it. When the son of God came to the earth that he created, remember he came as a carpenter, a manual laborer. Just think about that for a second. Jesus, who had been worshipped by scores of angels since eternity past in heaven, embraced working with his hands day in, day out. He worked hard to learn his craft. He did what he was told as an apprentice, probably serving his dad, Joseph. He knew what it was to get up early and go into the workshop. He knew what it was like to work a long day, maybe building furniture or building tools or constructing a wooden frame of a house. We don't, we don't know exactly what he did, but I'm sure he knew satisfying days and days full of unexpected problems. Our God is a God who works, and you are made in his image. Back in Genesis 1, God commanded Adam and Eve, the first people, to fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it. That is to fill the earth with community, creativity, construction, to investigate, discover, develop, and care for the world's resources. Again, in Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it, to produce and provide and steward all that he'd been given. It's fascinating that God made his world to need continued work. He calls men and women, he calls us, to carry on his work, to bring forth the untapped potential of his creation. Work came before the fall. Before sin entered the world, work was part of God's perfect design. Although we now live in a fallen world and sin does make work difficult and frustrating at times, the commission God gave Adam and Eve in the garden still applies to us. God created the physical world And he cares deeply about it and the people in it. For instance, when businesses produce material things that enhance life on earth, they're engaged in work that matters to God. When you contribute to your IT company or education or farming or raising children in the home, you are, in a small way, helping to govern and care for God's creation. This is pleasing worship to God. When you approach your work as an act of service, God can use it in amazing ways. The church leader and author Tim Keller writes, Through our work, we bring order out of chaos, create new entities, exploit the patterns of creation, and interweave the human community. So whether splicing the human gene, or doing brain surgery, or collecting the rubbish, or painting a picture, our work further develops, maintains, or repairs the fabric of the world. In this way, we connect our work to God's work. This should enlarge your vision of what you're doing, whatever your work entails. I want to encourage you to take a moment this week just to ask God to show you how your work 
connects with his and let that be your fuel to work well. He's commissioned you to not only work as his fellow worker, but also his child. Ephesians 1 verse 5 reminds us, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus. You work for the family business. You work for the family business because you are an important, trusted member of God's family. And we share in our Father's work, partnering with him to bless the world around us. Thirdly, your work doesn't define you. Jesus does. We've established already that work is about worshiping Christ. And that means that it's no longer about you and your career. This frees you from the world's pressure to find fulfillment and identity in your work. The world will tell you that your worth is in your job title, that you're only as good as your latest career accomplishment. And when you bow to that pressure, work becomes a selfish thing. At best, if you fall into that trap, you'll struggle to cope with working days that don't go well. And there are sure to be plenty of those, right? It becomes about getting to the top. And there's a temptation to be a people pleaser or to be dishonest to get ahead. And we're warned against these things in verse 6 of our passage today. But in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells followers of Jesus that your identity is not found in your work because you are a child of God himself, saved through his grace, secure in his love, completely known by the God who created all things, chosen to live in his purposes, and that even now you're seated in heavenly realms with Christ and that you are the dwelling place of his spirit. Even after the hardest, longest, most frustrating day at work, you're still a child of God. The true gospel of grace frees us from having to prove ourselves and secure our identity through our work. All work now becomes a way to love the God who saved us freely. When things don't go your way at work, remember it's not about you. Your work is a mission of service beyond your own interests. Seeing it that way liberates you from unhealthy pressure and gives you lasting and sustainable purpose in your work. Because every day is an opportunity to worship. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus. Well, we're really glad you're here. God's inviting you today to give up trying to find your fulfillment or purpose in anything besides him. Whether that's your career or anything else. Your value, your worth are found in him. If your career is your reason for being, it'll just never be enough. But Jesus will always be enough for you. Fourthly, you have the best boss imaginable. Knowing who you work for changes your attitude to work. A boss can transform how you feel about going to work, right? I'm sure you've experienced this for better or for worse. Our passage in Ephesians 6 reveals who your boss really is, though. Because everything you do in obedience to your earthly boss is actually service to your ultimate master, Jesus. And he's perfectly just, perfectly fair, and infinitely generous. At times, work can be tough. You might feel stuck in a job you don't want. You might feel like you're underpaid, underappreciated, 
or have unrealistic demands placed on you by a poor manager. I'm sure there's lots of people here who feel like that's work for them. But Paul instructs us in verse 7 to render service with a goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. When you're tempted to let bitterness about your employer or your work take root, remember who it is that you're really serving. Remember who's really in charge. Jesus is such a good boss, and I believe this morning that he wants to free some people here from work-based anxiety. If you're somebody who finds himself feeling really anxious as you approach the office on a Monday morning, or you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night worrying about situations at work, God wants you to know this morning that he cares for you. He delights in you, not because of your performance, but because of his grace. He delights in you and he will provide for you just as he's promised. Philippians 4 famously says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, including your work, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Bring your worries about work to him and receive his peace. We all need that. Your heavenly father also knows your limitations, which is why he has commanded you to rest regularly. He doesn't have unrealistic expectations for you. He designed you, and though you're designed to work, you're not designed to work constantly. Resting well is something that many people in our society find difficult to do. As we've said already, our culture idolizes work as a means of self-fulfillment, and the consequences of that are disastrous. We see burnout, the erosion of family and social life, people doing others down to get to the top. The idol of work demands more and more without ever delivering on its promise of happiness. But we work to worship. We don't worship work. Worship God by resting regularly, just as he's asked you to do. Because he is a good boss, know that while you're working, God is working in you. He wants to grow you in faith. He wants to grow your character. And he uses the challenges you face at work to do just that. Each of us will face seasons when our work feels like more of a struggle. But when you submit this daily grind to God in faith, it becomes a powerful instrument to change you and to make you more like Jesus. God can use a difficult role or a difficult manager or just setbacks in your working life to develop perseverance and patience and godliness in you. It might not feel brilliant at the time, but it is a sure sign of God's fatherly love for you. Romans chapter 5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Don't despise the important work that God is doing in your character through your daily work. So as a bond servant of Christ, you have the best boss imaginable, who cares for you and who is completely committed to you. Fifthly, you are his representative in your workplace. We're not saved by good works. 
But the book of Ephesians tells us that we are saved to do good works. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. As a Christian, you now carry the Spirit of God in you wherever you go, which means the character of Jesus will spill out into your work. This might look like working honestly, not cutting corners or bending the law to make life easier for yourself. It might be fighting to maintain a positive attitude towards your colleagues, not joining in with gossip, or simply making a point of speaking well of your co-workers and managers. That reflects God's heart for them. Going out of your way to help someone or show undeserved kindness to a colleague can have a surprisingly powerful effect. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You're an ambassador for the gospel and you can be sure that faithful obedience to Christ in your conduct will be noticed by those around you. It might even open up opportunities to share with your colleagues the hope that you have in Jesus. Who knows the influence that God will give you as you walk in step with the Spirit? I'm sure that by demonstrating the gospel through deeds and words at work, you're going to point the way to salvation and eternal life for your co-workers. Perhaps uh, you don't have a manager at work. Perhaps you are the manager. Um, Well, verse 9 is addressed to you. There's lots we could say about this verse, but I think what's striking is that Paul emphasizes the submission of masters, just as he did with bondservants. He instructs them to do the same as the slaves. In other words, to get to grips with the fact that you're really serving Jesus. However high up you are in the company, we read earlier in Paul's letter that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. So submit to him and reflect him to all those around you, treating everyone with kindness and dignity. Jesus himself was the ultimate model of servant leadership that all masters are to imitate. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. If you have responsibility for others at work, Is that your attitude? You're to point to Christ and his grace in every interaction with those you lead. We can't work and lead this way without the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to be a better representative of Christ in your workplace, get filled with the Holy Spirit and go on being filled each day because he has all that we need for the task. Finally, You are to work with eternity in mind. In our passage, Paul helps us to see that though you may not see all the fruit of your labor in this life, all our work will be rewarded in the one to come. Verse 8 says, Whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. What an amazing promise that is. We live in a world where money tends to be the biggest motivation to work. Now, of course, most of us do have to 
go to work. We have to earn money to make a living. And it is right to be paid fairly and provide for your family if you have one. But we, we've got to be careful about making money our primary motivation. Because chasing money is, well, it's a bit like chasing sun in Edinburgh. You'll probably never feel like you get enough. It's a tantalizing thing, but money will never be a sufficient motivator for you to give your best effort every day. So don't rely on it. Your employer might not always compensate you fairly, but God sees and rewards every action done in service to him. I don't think it's totally clear how this might work or what the rewards in heaven might be, but we can trust in the generosity and goodness of the one who gives them. Colossians chapter 3, which kind of mirrors our chapter from today in Ephesians, says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Do you feel like every ounce of your toil at work is rewarded? It is costly in the short term to keep working diligently, even and especially when no one seems to notice. But the good news is that Jesus sees it all. Every desire to do good and every ounce of energy that you put into your work. It takes faith to live this way. It takes faith to work this way. But you can be confident that working for God has consequences that echo into eternity. And that is great news. So, As a bondservant of Christ, your work is worship. You work for the family business. Your work doesn't define you. You have the best boss imaginable. You're Christ's representative in your workplace. And you are to work with eternity in mind. We're going to respond to God now. We'll sing a final song in a moment. So if the band could come back up and join me, that would be great. Why don't we just come before God together? Let's, let's close our eyes. What's God been putting his finger on for you this morning. Perhaps you realize you've been seeing your work as your own, clinging on to it. You need to give it to God today. Or maybe you've been finding your identity in your work. You need to put it in its proper place. You need to find your identity in who God says you are. Maybe you feel like your work is just a bit of a struggle right now. Well, God promises to give you everything you need. He gives the power of the Holy Spirit to all who ask. So ask him to fill you with his spirit this morning and to give you his perspective. 
as I said earlier, I, I think there are people here who are weighed down by anxiety at work. It's plaguing your life. Remember who God is. Fill yourself with that truth, who God is, and take that to work with you. Remember that he has great plans for you in your work. If that's you, I'd really encourage you to get somebody to pray with you afterwards, maybe somebody that you came with, or uh, we've got the prayer team up in the balcony who'd love to pray with you after the service. I reckon almost everyone in this room is going to work this week. Maybe even tomorrow morning. Whatever work God has given you to do, do it for the glory of God. Remember that it's worship to him. Do it, do it for him. Get his perspective on your work. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. Thank you that you are a God who works and that you've given us work to do. Thank you, God, that we get to partner with you. As we work, we get to partner in your work. Lord, would you give us your right perspective on our work today? Would we keep it in its proper place and would we worship you in it? Lord, we thank you for work and we thank you that you care about it. We thank you that you care about all those hours we spend working. I ask you this morning, would you breathe your life and your purpose into our work? Even now, Lord, would you, would you just breathe your spirit into, into our work? into our attitudes to work, into situations that people here are facing at work. Lord, we give them all over to you. We want to be a people who work well for your glory, who point the way to you, who represent you as ambassadors of your gospel in our workplace. Help us to do that, Lord. Thank you that you, you don't ask us to do anything without giving us the power to do it without enabling us to do it. And so we're asking you this morning that you would fill us with that power, that you would help us in this. We give you everything in our lives, Lord. It's all yours. It's all yours, Lord.